0: You're listening to the Rugged Legacy Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Putnam. This is the second episode of the Rugged Legacy Podcast, and I'm joined today by a good friend of mine, Adam Lane-Smith. Adam is a psychotherapist, a husband, a father, a guy who can write a book maybe every other minute. Yeah. Little time in between if he needs to breathe. But no, he is a well accomplished author and he has decided to take the book world by storm with a whole new series on masculine Christian fiction. Uh, so, Adam, I want to thank you for being with me today. How are you, bro? I'm
1: good. Thank you for having me here.
0: Uh, well, I've known you for roughly a year now and I think you and I've gotten on better than most people <laughs> considering our vast uh, difference in ideologies, which is kind of what I wa- why I wanted to have you on. Um, you're a very devout Catholic and I am not, but I am very intrigued by your work. I've read all the work you've put out uh, on your masculine Christian fiction series. And I want to know what drove you to creating that. What was it that made you say, okay, I've seen all these different Christian fiction series out there. I think left behind is probably the most famous one, but yours are the exact opposite of that in every respect. Um, I've never heard about nuns doing stealth assassinations on cult members until I read your work. So, (laughs) so what was it that led you to wanting to jump into masculine Christian fiction?
1: extreme disappointment and disgust with the overall shall we say christian community <laughs> i okay. hate to say it that way but um <clears throat> at least growing up where i was i grew up in a mega church um grew up in california grew up with a lot of christians who were christians in name only we call them churchians you go to church and you don't do much outside of that you consider your obligation filled as long as you spent an hour every sunday um <laughs> discussed with that, but also so talking as so many Christians, young Christians, um, some even some old Christians, just they're feeling like there's nothing out there that makes it even sound like their faith is interesting. They see all these cool stories everywhere where everything else is interesting, and then you go to Christian fiction and it's boring, it's dry, it's hallmark, which some people love Hallmark, and that's fine, but I mean, it's sickeningly sweet. It's sappy. It's it's nothing but super happy utopia world in those settings, and and that's fine, and that's good for some people for that to be there, to have uplifting, encouraging, fun little stories, but it's got to be more than that, man. I mean, the Christian faith is formed to help people deal with a miserable existence sometimes, and if our stories aren't portraying that, if our stories make us sound vapid and boring, if our stories make us sound weak, if our young people have no heroes to look at and say, yeah, that's the kind of Christianity I want to live. That's, that's, that's living a loving, merciful, compassionate faith with chest hair. <laughs> if they can't do that, oh man, what an incredible disservice we are doing to our young people.
0: Yeah, that's that's a very interesting concept. Um, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church. And I know exactly what you're talking about with everybody shows up on Sunday. They're a churchian. They show up on Sunday. They might do a couple of shaking hands right after the service, walk out the door. And then it's just back to whatever you're doing for the other six days of the week. Um, And yeah, there were exceptions. There's nuances and all that. But for the majority, that's pretty much how it went. Um, One thing that never really clicked for me uh, as far as uh, Christianity went was it didn't feel like it was for me. You know what I mean? Uh, Similar to what you were just saying with you, you, you have this pretty utopian kind of a setting but life is anything but that in, in a lot of cases. And so I felt like I was going to a service. And they were saying, this is what you do. This is how life is. And I'm going, I don't know what kind of life you're looking at, but that, <laughs> that's not what my life looks <laughs> right. like. Right. You know, I grew up in a very rough childhood, uh, you know, between being put up for adoption halfway to being a teenager and beaten on constantly. I didn't have that uh, utopian Kind of outlook on things, mm-hmm. and it also felt to me that in Christianity itself, I was I was looking for a father figure, and that that is one of the th- things that you know is kind of the point yeah. of Christianity. <laughs> it is yeah. the point. Yeah, yeah it is <laughs> the point. Um, because I didn't have one,
1: yeah.
0: but I felt like the message was not being given from a fatherly standpoint even though i didn't have that much to compare it to but it seemed rather i I guess willy-nilly in the message you know it wasn't you know there was a line drawn this is the line you don't cross or else kind of thing it was well, you can do whatever you want. You ask for forgiveness and you're good. And then (laughs) you go on about your day kind of attitude. And so I never really clicked into that.
1: It's a social club. And here's some suggestions for how you might want to act.
0: Yes. That's a very good way of putting it a social club. Um, So I guess that's why I never, I guess, latched on to the Christian faith. Um, Do you think that that is the problem with a lot of the, Uh, issue today with church attendance being on a very steep downfall with there seemed to be a more feminized message to what was originally a very at least originally depicted as a very masculine type faith you know I'm thinking as far back as Cain and Abel I've read the Bible plenty you know and what was it it was Abel brought the fat of his herd before god cain brought some of his fruits from the earth you know one was a farmer one was a herder and it seems like all the fat you know being what was appreciated more cuz either the, in history the fattiest part of the meat was given to you know your most honored guest and i feel like in a lot of the churches that we see nowadays, especially like you said, the mega churches, the the Joel Osteen, where you've got fifty thousand big screens in the in the you know stadium that they're broadcasting from. It seems to be a lot of soft handedness when the world is anything but soft handed.
1: Yeah, it's sparkling clean Christianity that doesn't look like anything to anyone. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. Um, you know. Uh, they say the church attendance is on decline, and to some extent that's true. There's a lot of nuance there. Church, ex- church attendance is on decline in churches that are not teaching the message in the way that they need to be teaching it. That they're not, they're not going back to old traditions. They're not even looking at the Old Testament. It's cherry-picking from the New Testament for cheerful things, and that's it. It's um, feel-good Christianity. It's humanism that happens to talk about Christianity is really what it is. It's humanism. Um, Christianity doesn't have much to do with humanism typically, because that's just, it's sliding into worship of the self. It's sliding in all kinds of crap. I think there's, um, I saw a stat that said something like three quarters of church attendance are female now. Um, Man, (laughs) men have abdicated our responsibilities in every capacity across this entire culture. Church is one of them. Church should be the one we don't abdicate in it, but it should be the one, and we should be there. There should be men in the pews. There should be men in church. There should be men talking about it, living it. There should be men out there doing this. When we men fail, women step up and they take control and they say, all right, I guess I'm gonna be the one. And they take all this responsibility on And then they try to lead everything. They try to run the church. They try to do whatever they can. And what do women tend to do is they try to make things fair. Women tend to focus right on child care. You look at how women tend to run things. It's like a kindergarten. They set things up so that everyone's happy. Everything's fair. No one feels singled out. No one feels, you know, unloved. Everyone has to feel loved. So everything every every message that's kind of would make someone feel uncomfortable gets removed from the christian faith and it's just this good feel good stuff that we can all kind of get along with and that's cool and everyone's happy but not really because no one's going there when you take a look at the i don't want to say hardcore that's the wrong the traditional aspects ch- it's tradi- just churches who have traditional approaches their attendance is exploding like my my tiny little parish here. There's standing room only on even some normal days. doesn't even have to be a holiday. Our church is packed just about to the rafters where there's people in the back. We bring extra chairs in for people. Um, we, we, we can't get, there's not enough room in our church for the people that have been there. And this, this church is built in, nah, a long time ago, but it, it's exploding. Um, we just had to expand actually into a second service, I think, which is awesome. There's noisy kids crying out there in the pews, which our priests encourage. And they say, that's the sound of a healthy church. Why wouldn't you want that here? Have families in, have young families in church. And there are so, so many young families in church. When I look around in my congregation and my parish, is what we call it here, I look around, it's mostly young people. There are some old people, but it's people in their 30s, 40s people even in their 20s and, and they're packed with like because we catholics you know we have all these kids they've got they, every family has like their own pew with all these children like piled in it like tetris arrangement kind of thing it's it's awesome um and our church teaches a very tr- hard trad- hardline traditional message they don't single people out they don't say you're bad you're going to hell if you do this you're a bad person if you do this but they do say here are the laws, here's the commandments, keep them, study them, learn them. They push us to learn them. Um, I think part of the problem really was when you look back 100 years ago, you had the Great Depression, World War I, Great Depression, World War II, Dust Bowl, you had all this stuff happening and parents didn't have time to be with their children. Right. They were slaving away for 18 hours in factories. They were desperately trying to keep things together. They didn't teach their kids much. When it came to faith, when it came to morality, when it came to staying as a family, families started moving off the farm, moving to cities, breaking up, losing all kinds of stuff. Family networks were broken apart. And then the people said, well, we don't have time to teach our kids about faith either, but the church will do it. And that's not what church is meant to do. We Catholics, they don't teach us much at all in the service. You go and your priest might speak for five, 10 minutes and do a homily. You go to a Protestant church and they're more likely to have a message, right? The hour is is usually there's 20 minutes, a half hour of a message where they kind of guide you through like, what does this part of scripture mean or something like that? But if that's all you're getting, you are utterly failing. And for the majority of history, I mean, you were supposed to learn. Here in the Catholic faith, we are told like you are the first teacher for your children you have to teach, and men aren't doing that. People aren't stepping up. It's just like public school. People are saying, ah, "I'll send my kids to public school. They'll learn about sex, morality, relationships. They'll learn for that from their teachers, which is why we have now we have sex ed in the schools because parents aren't bothering um, now we have churches where people have no idea what their faith even is. We have people here in, the, in our church called the the cradle Catholics who were born into the faith, never told mo- what it means at all. And they just kind of say, oh, well, yeah, I don't know. Catholics faith is not really for me. I don't know. It doesn't seem to, to resonate for me. And you say, well, what about this, or this, or this? And they say, that's not part of the faith. <laughs> you say, oh, uh, Yes, it is. Those are core facts. I've met Catholics who didn't know that Jesus Christ is supposed to be our Savior. I've met Catholics who had no idea what forgiveness kind of means. I've had Catholics who had no idea what communion is or why we do it. And these are core pieces of our faith. So when I look around my congregation, I look at my parish, I love it. When I've looked around all the congregations I've been a part of in the past, it's really old people. And that's it. It's really old people are dying out.
0: Yeah, that was kind of the demographic, uh, especially in the Southern Baptist Church. It was just a bunch of really old people who've been going to that same church since 1941. Yep. Now, to go back a little bit into what you just said. Yeah, go for it. um, You were saying that a lot of the message is... Mainly being feminized because men aren't taking an active role in attending the church, and I did read recently that since the, I think it was the Industrial Revolution, people's had people had a lot of their lives kind of begin to overlap, and you know, like just like you said, you see that family network gets broken up. People have to go to work. People have to do this and that and the other, and of course. In the big industrial boom, Sundays were often worked. And so the man being the head of the household and having to work and provide, you had women fill in the pews. Well, that trend seems to have, of course, filtered all the way down into what we see today. But I'm just wondering, the, the priest, the pastor, the minister, he is essentially the shepherd of a flock that he is supposed to be guiding or at least protecting, Right. If the majority I think you said what was it three quarters of all congregations are now women
1: Something like you know
0: that. it's it's a three to one ratio for men to women to men in church. The pastors or the priests or the shepherds that are spending the majority of the time of their time with their congregations, well if the majority of their congregation is women you you kind of start to have that bleeding effect where the priest or the minister or whatever isn't going to want to talk to like the way you and I will talk to each other as men, we're not going to pull punches. But if we're talking to women, we're going to pull our punches a little bit as to kind of rein it in and that make, this is it, but I don't want you to start crying <laughs> kind of a thing. And I think because it's so soft handed that maybe pastors and priests and ministers aren't, Spending enough time with Christian men to where they don't get that, you know, that perhaps that fellowship with other men, like what you and I have with our friends in our circle, where we don't pull punches, we, we're not going to pick, but we tell it like it is. And I think a lot of the issue with faith today is that nothing's being told like it is. Yeah. You know, is. I'll give, I'll give you a good example. Uh, my wife was raised Catholic. And she was told her entire life, if you're going to be married Catholic, and you end up getting divorced, you are not to take communion. Right? That was that was the, after after being divorced. The Catholic Church kind of frowned upon it. You know, you don't take communion. Da da da, da. You can still go to church, but don't take communion. And it was something along those lines. Yeah. But her now, when her mother and father got divorced, you know, her dad left the church, you know, hardcore Hispanic family, you know, he, okay. He left the church, didn't go. And her mother never took communion after that because she was a divorced woman. Mm -hmm. But later while my wife worked for the rectory and the diocese, they started getting letters and stuff from the, from the diocese stating, "Well, well, now this is allowed. Well, now this is allowed. Well, now this is allowed. Um, For example, you're seeing married priests now. You're seeing homosexual priests. You're seeing female priests. And for the longest time, none of these things were ever allowed via the doctrine of the church. But as time has progressed and society starts to say, well, this isn't right, this isn't fair, I feel from an outsider's point of view, and maybe you can correct me on this, But I feel from an outsider's point of view that religion, no matter what it is, is supposed to be this unwavering lighthouse on a hill to guide ships to it. But the problem seems to be that the more the sea is getting churned, the lighthouse is trying to make its way out to sea to find the ships and lowering its standards rather than causing telling the ships to raise their standards. Yeah. So I was wondering what you thought about that.
1: Um, you know, I've been Catholic for a year, so I'm obviously feeling really comfortable to speak for every Catholic in the world right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, back in, I believe it was the 60s, there was something called Vatican II, which is the Second Vatican Council, and they talked about, again, that's my understanding. I, I'm very uh, poorly educated on this, so let me just blow out everything and pretend I know. Um, my understanding was that some things were updated to make, kind of like you said, make church more accessible quote unquote to people uh, more compassionate to have a more compassionate approach. Um, society was changing. So they wanted to take a more compassionate approach to people. It wasn't supposed to change the beliefs and the doctrines, but it was supposed to encourage more compassionate approach toward the people having those things, since those things might become more prevalent. Um, for example, a priest may butt up against more, uh, parishioners um, talking openly about homosexuality today than they did back in the forties or fifties. So because those things are going to become more in the open, my understanding was they were supposed to be more compassionate. It wasn't supposed to change anything. Um, We don't have women priests. That's not allowed in the Catholic church as a huge, and we do have a lot of women and some men pushing for that, but it's absolutely not in the Catholic church. Um, Celibacy is still required. The Pope just came out and said that he would rather lose his own life than Break up celibacy here in the church. Um, okay. He's, co- he's quoting a past pope. Um, there's been a lot of talk about if we're going to have married priests, and we do if an Anglican priest who can be married converts to Catholicism and becomes a Catholic priest, they are allowed to still have that wife. But if their wife passes away, they're no longer allowed to ever get married again. It's just like our deacons. If you get married as a deacon with a wife and she dies, you can never remarry. Um, the divorce thing. People can get divorced and receive communion. You are not supposed to get divorced and remarried and receive communion because that violates Christ's command. But Uh. you can go to your bishop and have a special dispensation. The bishop will sit down on a case-by-case scenario and say, okay, we can annul your marriage if it meets these certain conditions. If if you got married and it comes out your partner was a meth addict and had slept with eight other people – and you got into the marriage not knowing that they had this methodiction, addiction they didn't enter into a good contract with you um, and they've been unfaithful in these things we can annul the marriage that it was never a valid marriage under god because you never entered it you didn't enter into the contract under full terms um, so it's called an annulment and they become really loose with handing out the annulments a lot of bishop, bishops have some bishops don't it, it comes down to each bishop for their territory but Yeah, man. No, I'm with you. Um, There's a lot of frustration in the Catholic Church about what seems to be, um, shall we say, inconsistencies, shall we say, sliding away from what is actual teaching. It seems like it's just a bunch of hypocrites who are making up rules as they go along. And why should we even listen to these people? Because they don't even care. They're just sort of sliding in and out opportunistically and trying to take money and trying to hold on to power it's a bad look (laughs) and and is some of it true i don't know i personally do believe in the church but a lot of people really struggle with that and with a lot of aspects of it people much like your wife and and she's a wonderful human being with incredibly strong principles so if she's having a problem with it there's a legitimate problem
0: yeah and you know it's, it's it's hard to respect and again from an outsider's point of view it's hard to respect a church or any religion that will draw a line in the sand and says, this line you do not cross. Yeah. But then it realizes that it's losing members because people start crossing that line. And instead of holding it saying, you see, and you know, instead of saying, see what happens to these people, they, they crossed the line. Yeah. And so they got the or else versus man, a lot of these people are crossing these lines. Let me move the line back a little bit. <laughs> you know it's the it's a whole moving the goalpost argument correct and i see that not just in you know the catholic church again my wife's catholic i'm not um i've seen it in the southern baptist churches i've attended lutheran wesleyan any kind of denomination church mm. i've seen it they move the goalpost to fill the seats yes and to me that seems like it's just a little wishy-washy where if you don't, you can't respect a standard that's constantly changing.
1: No, no, you can't. Because God is unchanging. So if the rules are changing, then they're not coming from God or God is fake. It's one or the other. Uh, right. That's, that's what people look at it and say, either you have a fake religion or you're not following the real religion. Um, it's funny because if they follow the rules and slam down hard and say, this is how it is, people run screaming toward them, especially young people, young people crave that kind of consistent, like, this is how it is. Deal with it or get out. Young people crave that. Um, I think people in general crave that, but especially young people have a deep appreciation for it. And I'm thinking just the other day, my, my little daughter, she's one and a half, almost two. Um, I had to discipline her for for trying to bite her brother. She got mad and she bared her teeth and lunged at him to bite a chunk out of him. And I had to discipline her. And she cried when I did it. And then I was her best friend afterward. And She has chased me around for days playing with me, grabbing my hand, jumping on me, trying to get my attention, trying to get me to read her books. And she's loved me even more because I enforced this strict discipline. Um, people love it. People crave it. I mean, it makes it feel like, okay, there's something here. If you're doing this, you're willing to go to these lengths. And maybe what you're telling me is true if you're willing to go that length. Um, I'm thinking in the book of John, when Jesus tells them um, for you to survive, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink of my blood in much the same way as the Passover lamb. Um, And people, it says, people got up and left and his, his disciples said, you know, teacher, this is a hard thing. And he's, and he just looks at them. He didn't say, Oh no, 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 it's, it's okay. So I didn't mean to say that. I was just, it was a metaphor. Don't worry. He looks at him and she says, he looks at his, his 12 disciples and just says, well, are you going to leave me too? <laughs> and and at that moment, like they buckle down. They're like, this guy's serious. Oh, uh, okay. Well, I guess we're going to be, we're going to take this because that's what the Christian faith is supposed to be. Um, a lot of Christians today, you know, we I don't want to get into this political debate about anything, but we we have so much democracy soaked into us that we forget what time period Christianity was formed in. It was a very I don't want to say feudalistic system, but I mean you had a more Lord. totalitarian. Yeah, well you a hierarchy, a rigid social hierarchy of rulership. You had a Lord. That's why we call God the Lord. That's why we say Jesus Christ is Lord. Like, he's a peer, he's the king. And you trust your king, and you obey your king, and you listen to his commands, and you do them because you do not want to live in rebellion against your king. So when your king says, do this, you do it. Even if it doesn't make sense to you, even if you don't like it, you do it because he'll kill you if you don't. But also because you trust him, because your life is built on him, and you are in his kingdom. Um, If the Lord, your Lord walks out, let's say you know, 2000 years ago, you're standing there in the, in, in the palace or whatever, you're, you're one of his buddies, and he walks out and says, huh, sky is a lovely shade of green today. You don't say, hey, Lord, no, it's, it's blue. You say, yup, that's a great shade of green. I love that color because you say, you know what, number one, I'm not going to contradict him. But also number two, I trust him that he, his eyes work better than mine. And he sees things more clearly than me. So my eyes might say that's blue, but he says it's green. I trust him more than I trust myself. So everyone around him will say, yep, yep, that's green. Great green. Good green today. Purple grass too, huh? And that's (laughs) that's how it is. If you, you can follow 99 of his commands. But if you say, you know, this one, I don't like this one. I'm not going to do that. It doesn't sound good to me. I don't think you're right on that. You are living in open rebellion against him. You are now an enemy of the state. <laughs> People don't realize that when you start picking and choosing which portions of the Bible you want to listen to, you start picking and choosing how you're going to live. And you say, "Well, you know, this this commandment that's pretty outdated." When you start saying things like oh, the Ten Commandments, uh, I don't know, man, Ten Suggestions is more like it. You start saying that when you go to church on Sunday. And then you go home and scream at your wife. You go home and ignore your children so that you can just watch hours and hours of, net, of Netflix. You know, when, when, when you go to church and profess to follow the Lord and then walk out of that church and deny him with your lifestyle, you are damaging the people around you because they look at your Lord and they say, wow, this Lord engenders no faith and trust whatsoever. in this guy right here, this guy right here says he's a good servant of the Lord, but he doesn't even follow his commands. He must not be consistent. Um, man, there's so many, so many weak men who claim to follow the Lord and in turn damage everyone around them. As you and I are speaking right here, real talk, as you and I are speaking right here, there's a ton of male Christians out there right now masturbating to porn. There's dudes out there right now jerking off to bestiality porn and incestuous porn and thinking, yeah, it's totally good. And when they're done, you know what they're going to do a couple hours from now, maybe tonight or maybe tomorrow morning, they're going to go to church and they're going hold their neighbor's hand and they're going to say their little prayer, say the Lord's Prayer and be singing their hymns up there and they're with the rock concert going on with guitar solos and, and laser lights. And they're going to be saying, wow, I sure do love being a Christian. It's pretty cool. And then they're going to go home and do it all again um that's the reality that we live in we live we live in a reality where i I don't know if i want to say the majority of of self-professed christians are in open rebellion against our lord i don't know if i want to say the majority but an awful lot of them are an awful lot of people are living in a way that is going to get them brutally slaughtered when jesus comes again because he is he is a merciful lord we serve a lord and he can tell us the sky is green and we have to ignore everything our eyes tell us and obey that but he's merciful he's compassionate he's loving and he comes to us and says like, here we are like slimy and filthy in the gutter he says all right i'm going to pick this guy up I'm picking you up i'm washing you clean you are my brother now i'm going to bring you into the palace to live with me all you have to do is follow my commands do do what i tell you to do and everything i tell you will be built on love trust me if it doesn't make sense to you that's okay just trust me and you will be heir to my co-heir to my kingdom. I'm, I'm going to take care of you. When I look around at people, my angels, my armies, I will tell them, take care of this man like he is my flesh and blood, because he is now my brother. Now, here's a father for you who loves you, uh, loves you as long as you keep the commandments and obey. There's a father who will love you for entire your entire existence, eternity, in fact. Just follow my commands and trust me. Um, there's a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who in the, in, was, I believe was in Germany, um, he tried to help the Jews uh, escape. He tried to do all kinds of stuff. He was a preacher. And he, my, my memory is not so good on this. So, um, but he, he was trying to remember exactly what he was doing, but he was this religious guy back then. Um, and he ended up going to the camps and things like this. And he wrote letters called, uh, he wrote this multiple essays, but one was the high cost of discipleship. And in this, he says, When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die, that that's what he's really calling you to. He's calling you to come and die for him and become a martyr for him. Now, whether it's a physical death or a social death, you have to be prepared to take it as hard and as far as it has to go to keep the commands of your Lord. We are, we're in enemy territory. He calls us and says, okay, you're my brother. I love you. I will care for you. You have eternal life. I will always be there for you. I will always take care of you. That doesn't mean it won't suck and it doesn't mean it won't hurt and it doesn't mean it won't be miserable, but at the end, I will always be with you. Go into enemy territory, love people, tell them my commands, you keep my commands and you be a shining example of me and I will call people to you and you will teach them about me. Go do that. And then people wander out here into enemy territory and they say, hey, pornography, (laughs) that sounds great. They ignore the Lord and they stay at home so they can jerk off. They have sex with people who aren't their wife. They go to strip clubs. They ignore their kids. They don't teach their kids their faith. They say, ah, church will teach the kids that. I don't need to talk to the kids. It's awkward for me to talk to the kids about this faith. That's weird. It's weird. That's what weirdos do. I don't want to do that. (laughs) They say, I don't want to get in my, I don't want to stand up to my wife and tell her, the Bible says that you should submit to me. Even if you don't like it, that's what the Bible says. And this is our Lord's command. So if we don't do this, you are living in open rebellion against the Lord and you are condemning yourself. If you don't want to submit, there's a lot of Christian women out there who've been around horrible men. And so they get married to this dude and they henpeck him to death. And she rules the roost and says, submit. I don't want to do that. That's not in my wedding vows. And, and you try to, our wedding vows say, he'll submit to him, obey him, right? Love, honor, and obey. I'm not going to obey him. We're equals. Well, no, that's the opposite of what the church <laughs> but you're supposed to submit to this man and he is supposed to submit to Christ. There's a hierarchy in place. Um, you can well, do, do you... that or not. You can live an open rebellion against your Lord and say, sorry, Lord, you don't know what you're talking about. It's not the 1940s anymore. I'm not doing that no more. You can do that, but you are living an open rebellion against the Lord.
0: Right. Well, do you think that because of What we were talking about earlier with the leaders of these churches, uh, the deacons, they seem to have embodied, while they're supposed to embody the lion and the lamb. But with three quarters of a female congregation or parish, they tend to come across as more lamb to get that message to maybe fit a little bit more with who they have in attendance. Do you think that this is because, with the, this is what is causing the lack of men attending church is because the message has been catered and altered to meet the feminine audience. Audience is a bad word for it. No, I'm with you. But 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 it's it's portrayed in a way that they accept it, and to say the things that you just said, you know the Bible says a woman will submit to her husband. Can you imagine in today's society? I, to me, if, if a guy tries to say that in front of 75 women with 25 men there and says that with today's expectations of what, how people should act in society, I feel like that would cause
1: a church fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it should. And finally, b- burn the place to the ground. Like Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. If that means, what happened, what happened to all of the disciples? One hung himself, and to my memory, the other 11 were martyred. <laughs> I mean, that's part of the gig. That's part of the gig. To be persecuted, to have people hate you, to lose your job, to be stoned to death in the streets with you and your family, that's part of the gig. Either you obey your Lord and you trust him or you don't. There's a lot of soft, like you said, soft-handed Christians out there who say, "Mm, Jesus wouldn't want me to suffer for the message, so I'll just be quiet right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of it, more than catering to female audiences to try to get their money and and keep the seats packed, I think that men are just plain afraid of women because they don't understand how women work. Women get really mad when you challenge them, when you stand up to them. They also really respect you when you hold your ground. Healthy women, especially, really respect you when you hold your ground. And then they say, Okay, I can trust this guy. Okay. Yep, he stood his ground. He actually held up. I have respect for him and I'll trust him. Because what we what it shows time and again is when a priest or pastor stands up and gives those hard messages and people come to him and, and he says, Too bad. This is what the Lord said. You can take it up with him and you can tell him you don't agree, but here's right here where he said it. You can choose to live with the Lord or not be a Christian. Make your choice. They can't really argue with that. They could say, well, I'll go start my own church. And yes, here in America, we have over 40,000 different churches from people saying, I'll go start my own church. Um, the numbers show that that's not the case. People crave the truth people crave it. When you say the truth, a hard truth, it packs your seats to the rafters, but people are afraid. I, I, I don't know that there is much catering to women. Maybe some of them, maybe the prosperity teachers. I think men are just plain afraid of women because they don't know what women actually want from them. They think that when a woman stomps you down, that she wants you to stay down. The harder a woman goes at you, the more she wants you to come back and stand up and be respectable as long as one she's healthy and as long as two you're healthy if both of you are healthy if a woman hits you like that she wants you to get up and say no 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 and, and lay down the law and then women respect and they trust and then they follow you that's really what it is um there's a lot of weak men out there who are terrified of women there's a lot of weak yeah. christians out there who are terrified to be christians
0: and i think in just my opinion here I think a lot of the weak men who fell from the church and abdicated, as you stated earlier, abdicated their role in the church was due to having a wishy-washy leader of the church. And because I don't know about you, but in every aspect of my life, I have to somehow, in some way, challenge my leadership to see if they're actually going to have the balls to put me back in line and if they don't then why the hell am i following this guy
1: <laughs> and that's and all I, of us It is right and
0: i think a lot of men feel that if yeah. if they step outside of the line or of the code of ethics as it were and they're spiritual leader their priest their pastor looks at him he goes "Eh, it happens and doesn't shut it down and doesn't push back on them saying no you can't do that they lose respect for him and no one is going to follow someone they don't respect right so it it seems to me like a lot of these weak men are product of weak spiritual leaders and these weak spiritual leaders are on the same back turn products of weak men and weak spiritual leaders. It it sounds like a very vicious cycle that's kind of spinning out of control. And I like what you have done with, you just stuck your hand out there and you snatch that line drive and you stop it dead center. No, this is what needs to be done. This is how it is. And it does take a lot of balls to do that, which is why I, was, I really wanted to title this episode Giving Christianity Back Its Balls. <laughs> because when you first started talking to me, and we've had numerous conversations over the past year about this very thing, you're unwavering as what my idea of any religion should be. It should definitely be unwavering. It shouldn't lower itself to meet the masses. The masses should be forced to elevate themselves to meet the standard. And you've never not called for that. You, you, you don't compromise as any faith shouldn't be compromising. Um, so what I want you to do now is kind of go into what you're hoping your work will accomplish as far as the Christian faith goes and bringing and like you said in the beginning, making Christianity interesting again to those who are desperately seeking that hardline doctrine that is not going to compromise just to make them happy.
1: Good question. Um, I think I can answer that uh, pretty easily because I, I, I've got multiple people already since I released my first book, right? Gideon Ira, night of the blood cross i released number one i released I had all three of them rapid fire or at least number two um the third book in the series came out valkyrie doll came out and oh boy december It was october then december then october november december all three of them rapid fire came out like every 30 days um i've had parents of teenage like middle teenage christian age um Christian boys write to me and say, my son doesn't really read books, but he read the, your first book four times, cover to cover, and we can't get him to stop. When are you coming out with the next one? I um, got people signing up on my Patreon, right? I just announced on my Patreon that I, I was doing some other Christian stories, and I said, no, 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 my Patreon is we're gonna be 100% for Gideon and Ira from now on. and I'm gonna churn these stories out at top speed. If you like Gideon Ira and you want to support me churning them out, you want 50 of those books out in the wild, come support me on my Patreon and you'll read all the books in advance as chapters are written. Sneak guide, sneak peek, help me shape them, help me do all kinds of crap. I said, no, this is it. I gotta do this because this is what parents are telling me their kids are eating up. This is I get people writing to me in DMs on Twitter, sending me emails and saying, thank you for giving us an example of a solid masculine christian man now it's extreme he's killing people in the book like left and right he's i I don't even know how many people he's killed hundreds maybe by book two (laughs) i I don't know a lot um i follow something called the just war doctrine um here in the catholic faith we have what's called the just war which if you are in a just war it justifies some killing which is still not necessarily justified but it, it allows you to do it though it's still grievous you still need to be cleansed for it, all kinds of things, um, but you're able to. You're able to kill in the name of this war because it's a war essentially in line with Christ, in line with your Lord. Your Lord has set up this war. It is just, and so you go do it. Um, he's killing everyone as in it's open warfare. It's, I mean, it's like Mad Max, the world, right? But with demons, like openly. Um, so he's killing all kinds of people, and some people are deeply uncomfortable with that. I do have some Christians writing to me saying, like, Adam, this is kind of like kind of like bloody and, and mean, like he's killing a lot of people. It is very dark. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It is not a sparkling Christianity. It's also not a Christianity that anyone can look at and say, hey, that feels like me. It's a Christianity that you look at and say, oof. Well, where's he getting that from? And then I talk about that in the in the book. Sometimes I'll bring in like even characters will question him, like, "What are you doing?" And he'll he'll lay out some of the doctrine and why he's doing it. Um, there's other characters who go way farther, and he stops and questions them with points of scripture. Um, so he walks a fine line between uh, of justice. My my editor, he's a wonderful Catholic guy, one of the most knowledgeable theologians I know. He's got a master's degree in theology. He's like hardcore when it comes to this. And he checks me on things. If I go overboard, that's one nice thing. If I go overboard in my writing, he says, "Mm, Adam, this wouldn't be in line with your your glorifying blood and and murder over here. Oh, okay. How could I fix that? (laughs) And I'll fix it (laughs) because that's one thing I don't want to do is glorify like murder and blood and and horrible things, right? Because murder, murder is outlawed, strictly outlawed in our faith. So I don't want to glorify murder. But killing and ju- killing for justice, killing in—I don't even know to say it that way—killing in such a way that it's protecting the innocents and fulfilling these things. There's a guy, um, Saint Bernard of Clairvaux, who back during the times of the Crusades wrote, bas- basically wrote like the, the original Templars charter before they, you know, back in the early years when they were a good order, um, when they were doing all kinds of stuff. He wrote like, you know, when when the sanctuary is defiled, it is right and just. To go enact war on your enemies in the name of the Lord, to take this vengeance for the Lord, for his sanctuary being defiled. You should be doing this. It's it's weak and pathetic if you do not go and take vengeance in the name of the Lord um, St. Bernard of Clairvaux. He talks about killing in the name of the Lord. He talks about all of these things, things that make us deeply uncomfortable today. Because when I say killing in the name of the Lord, a lot of people get on here and say, Ooh, he wants us to go bomb abortion clinics. He's going to hit people in the head with baseball bats in the street. He wants to kill gay people. This is, these are the things that come up. I'm talking about when you are in open warfare as in, as in these books, right? He's in post-apocalyptic setting, demons, slavers. People are coming along like brutal, brutal Mad Max nightmare survival situation. He is out there fighting. He's the front He's the front and last line of defense for average people who want to live in peace. Um, I walk a really fine line with that. I go back to the Old Testament and I see what they're doing in the Old Testament. I go back to the Book of Maccabees. A lot Protestants don't have the Book of Maccabees, but the Catholics do. Um, it talks about when Israel is invaded over and over. The sanctuary is defiled. They have to remove the sanctuary and like bury it and build a new sanctuary, uh, a new altar. I mean, uh, they have to completely swap the altar kind of stuff out. They have all these horrible atrocities happening to them and they're killing their leading armies. Then their army gets slaughtered and then their leader wanders off over here and gets taken and, and like ripped apart. And then they have a new leader and it's these horrible, brutal things. I wanted to put... Old Testament, men, Old Testament men in New Testament Christianity. And when you go back and read the New Testament, really read it. Like, even those guys are hardcore. There's no wishy-washy guys until you get to more <laughs> recent era. We're wishy-washy. We have We have weak fathers at home is really where it starts. We have weak fathers at home. So you have all these women out there, average, calm, sweet, wonderful young women, Who hear these messages about radical, hardcore feminism, right? The kind of feminism that wants to put men in death camps, as that one woman, that one feminist from the U.K. said. (laughs) There's very, very little outcry, but she said, "Kill off 90% of men, take the last 10, put them in, basically livestock pens underground, and women can visit them, and that'll just be what men are for." Um, You know, things like this, and they they teach these young women like, oh, you know, men men aren't helping you. Men are just oppressing you. And we see these young women, they look at their own fathers and say, well, yeah, he abandoned us. You know, he lives over there with the younger wife. Or, yeah, my dad just, like, locks himself in his office every night and just, like, we know what he's doing in there with, like, the, the nasty music and the sounds going on in there. like Or he's just drunk all the time. Or he hits us and just screams at us and he, you know, whatever. Or he sexually abuses them. He's addicted to something. All these weak fathers if you have a strong father who loves you and guides you, that young woman's going to look at that feminist and say, you're full of crap. Men aren't the problem. Look at my father. He took care of me. He, he governed me. He, he managed my, my behaviors, but he loves me. He encourages me. I'm not enslaved under him. I'm taken care of, but I also have freedom and security. what What, what are you smoking? But look at all the weak fathers in our society today. People sit here and complain on Twitter, on social media about how every, every American woman is a feminist now. They don't even realize it. And feminism fills our churches. And, well, yeah, what are those women looking at when people come to them and say men are the problem, men are pathetic, men hurt people, men don't love people, men don't care? What are they looking at as examples? And it's the same in the church, right? Like you said, you question your leadership. So men question leadership, women question leadership. I talked about that a moment ago. The difference is when man questions leadership and that leadership is weak, the guy bails out. When a woman questions leadership and that leadership is weak, she stays it out for decades, miserably, continuously poking and prodding and trying to get him to stand up. And I'm convinced that that's what a lot of church attendance is, is women poking and prodding their priests and pastors trying to get them to stand up and have a sack for once and they don't the men bail out the men just the then say this is i can't respect this i don't want to deal with this but you come along with my books come along to my books and you say oh teen teen attendance is falling you know in another twenty in another 20 years there won't even be churches it'll just be I don't know. You'll just go there, and and there won't even be a Bible. You'll just go there. There's there's an app for that. There's an app for that, right? Yeah, there
0: will be an app for church. You just download whichever denomination that you want to subscribe to that week. You just download that app, and as long as you open it once on Sunday, okay, you're good. It's going to have like a little activity checker.
1: Yeah, it'll have a pop-up, a little banner that pops up. It says, by the way, be nice to people, and that'll be the extent of the message, right? And yeah, I'm a yeah. Christian. I got the banner once a week.
0: Um, yeah, you'll earn badges like you do on Audible or Kindle. There
1: you. That'd be actually not a bad idea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Pokemon Go, but church. Yeah. Um, no, I, people talk and say, you know, when when, the, when these generations die out, no, there will be a one percent. Christianity and 99% atheism. Young people don't even want that. They're so enlightened. And then I get all these emails from young people and their parents saying, thank you. Thank you for this message. Thank you for having this hardcore brutal i mean he is a brutal guy this hardcore hero thank you for for teaching good doctrine in these books thank you for doing this my son has read your book four times cover to cover it's only been a month since he's had the paperback he doesn't even like reading when is the next one coming when i get over and over and over i keep getting these emails from parents i get young people writing to me um andrew Loshner wonderful sweet guy young guy I adore that boy Um, he's a man I shouldn't even say boy he's a man Um,
0: he's actually going to be a guest
1: is he wonderful he is wonderful sweet guy but he's young you know I'm in my mid-30s I look at him and I'm like like did he hit puberty yet I look at and I know he has like yeah he's he's younger man but
0: he is just he's the same age as my oldest son uh, but (laughs) <laughs> when I, when I, when I see what he has to deal with mm-hmm. today, it, it reminds me of, you know, raising my own children. Yeah. I see what he deals with and how he deals with it. Mm-hmm. And then I see what my children have to deal with and how they deal with it and right. how they'll come to me or, I mean, hell, you know, I've even reached out to Andrew to ask him be a good way to relate to a kid <laughs> your age. Right. Um, you know, I, you know like you said, I call him kid. he's not a kid. He's a grown man. yeah, he is. but
1: but you look at him, I mean, he's another generation. and I look at that and I say, at the very least, these young men, they're out there fighting on the front lines. At the very least they need something they need rest, they need enjoyment, they need escapist entertainment, right? Can they watch Star Wars? Well, not really, because I'm looking at Kathleen Kennedy and all the people behind Star Wars, and they say white, and they came out and said explicitly, white men are over. White men need to take a back seat. We are not interested in white men anymore. They said this before the first movie even came out. And that's been their whole theme. The future is the, the force is female. All their teachers keep saying they're preaching against men. Um, all of their entertainment media. Who's the only white? Who's the only villain they're allowed to have cast in any movie ever again a white man a young white man who's a hick or an old white man in a suit those are the two villains in every movie from now on he's either young white hick or an old white businessman or politician those are the only villains allowed ever again um christian bonus points if he's christian bonus points and bonus points if he gets to you say this is the lord's will he wants you to be miserable so just shut up bonus points for that So these guys, they just want to relax, right? And that's fine. Make that media for people that want to hear that media and watch it. But These young guys are out there fighting day in, day out, tooth and nail. And then they hear these messages every time they want to They just want to read a story. They just want to watch a movie. They just want to relax. Well, I'm giving them something to relax. I'm giving them something to enjoy. And while they're there, maybe they learn something. Maybe it asks them some hard questions. Maybe they think about it. But there's there's an author. um, His name is Nick Cole wonderful, sweet man. He's been my mentor for a couple of years. Um, Good Christian man. He's out in California, lives in like Hollywood, USA. Hmm. Very devout Christian, very conservative man, was blacklisted from his original book publisher for being conservative, um, for standing up for his beliefs. Uh, Blacklisted, tried to bury his career and he's come back five times harder. Wonderful, sweet, kind man. Um, I can't I can't, I can't exaggerate how, how wonderful he is and how big of a force he's been in my life. But he told me, and he hammered this into my bones, is the purpose of a storyteller, the purpose of an author, our job is to give people something to read and enjoy during their dark times, right? There's a man sitting in a hospital. Right now, somewhere, there's a man sitting in a hospital. He's right beside his wife's bed. She's in a coma, and he's just wishing she would wake up. He's got hours and hours and hours to kill, but he doesn't want to read about all the stuff about how Christians are evil. So now he can pop open any of my books and he can sit there and just spend a couple of hours buried in a book. That's not going to punch him in the face and tell him he's a piece of crap. It's not going to tell him that men are evil while he's sitting there right by his wife's bedside. He can just enjoy some stories that's what Nicole hammered into me, and that's what I really want to hammer into this. I'm not out here to save the world with my books. If I do, cool. I, I don't know. I'm just serving the Lord. I'm just here to do what the Lord tells me. And right now, the Lord tells me, publish some books, man. Here's some ideas. He gives me the ideas. I shut up, and I write them. Um, now, I'm going to say that they're perfect. I'm, they're not perfect. <laughs> that's me. I'm a flawed instrument. Um, but, man, I'm just out here to give some, give some good men... And women give some good Christians some enjoyment. And if they learn something, if they question some doctrine, if they if they say, well, this can't be right, and they go to their Bible and they open it up and they read in their Bible and say, huh, I guess it is. If they ask questions, if they challenge their father at home and say, dad, you need to come to church, why aren't you coming to church? And they drag his butt to church. They drag their kids to church. If all those wives sitting in those pews say, honey, you're a sack of crap stop being this pile of grease on the couch, get up, turn off your porn that I know you're using and come to church with me because you're destroying our children. If those wives read my books and do that, if those young men like Andrew, if they say, you know what? He was the, this character in this book is willing to die. his first principles. Am I? Yes, I am. And then the next day, cause it never fails. The next day, Enter some situation where they stand to lose if they uphold the virtues of the book of of the Bible and and say it how it is, and they do it anyway. I've done something, or I've been a part of something. I can't claim that I did it, but I've been a part of something. That's what I want to give rest and give encouragement. That's why I wrote these books. That's why I continue to write these books. That's why I'm pumping them out over on my Patreon. That's why I'm pumping them out. I talk about them on social media. That's why I've got all this crap I'm doing here is just to, to give rest and encouragement to people who need it.
0: You know, something you said, uh,
1: there was a lot of things I said. I ran.
0: (laughs) Oh, that was a good rant. Uh, it gave me a, a few questions actually, and maybe a statement in there. Um, you said when it comes to the entertainment media and there's nothing wrong with entertainment media, you know, um, what made me laugh is I'm I'm looking over here and I see a star Wars toy that my son has and it's sitting here and you said about the whole star Wars thing. Now, yeah, I'll let my kids watch star Wars. My kids can watch pretty much anything that is age and subject appropriate, but I've raised my kids in a fashion to know what is appropriate, what isn't appropriate and to come to me if they have questions When I see this onslaught of negative media about men, against men, and it's being force-fed to young and impressionable men, if they had a weak, nutless father, the things they read creates a confirmation bias. They go, yeah, that's exactly how my dad was. Or, yeah, that's exactly what... Uh, I saw my mom do. And yeah, that's exactly what I saw, you know, the preacher, the pastor, the priest do. That's exactly what I saw. So this must be true because I've seen it with my own eyes. But, you know, we're, you're talking about giving Christianity back its balls. I think in order to do that, we need to be giving men back their balls and more not so much giving them back their balls, just reminding them that they're, they're down there. They're hanging right there. Reach down. Give them a short kick. Yeah. Reach down there, grab a hold of them and remind yourself that they're there and start leading your families, start leading your wives, start leading your children and, You know, sometimes you have to lead your family by picking them up while they kick and scream and dragging them across the threshold sometimes. Just, you know what, if your wife doesn't want to get off the couch and your wife doesn't want to leave the house, you can stand there and argue till you're blue in the face, but since the whole fucking thing is burning down, you should probably pick her up and take her with you, regardless of how she feels about it. And, you know, I see these things, like what you said with this entertainment media and the reason I let my children see these things is because they know it's just entertainment media. But for some, they're seeing, like what you said, the, the future and the is is female, feminine, men are all evil, bad, whatever. They see that, and because of what they've seen with their fathers, their brothers, their pastors, their teachers, their coaches, it creates, again, like I said, a confirmation bias. And it just perpetuates that image to where they start headed down that path and they start that whole self loathing, self hate. And there's nothing more pathetic than you see a male feminist wearing a shirt that says the future's feminine. And you're like, dude, just please take your hand before they're completely gone and insert them into your boxers and find those nuts. And I think, you know, like what you said, if we had stronger men, we would have stronger churches.
1: I will say say this. Go ahead. I'll I'll cut in real quick. Because I've done a lot of years of marriage marriage therapy and marriage counseling. And all these men are afraid of women. They're afraid of if I stand up and take charge, my wife will leave me. My wife will divorce me. If I do this, my wife will do this. If I do this, my wife will do this. And, you know, there's some horrible women out there. You know, there are that have personality disorders, maybe. There's horrible women out there who will take it to the limit and put a gun to your head kind of thing. But I will say that outside of extreme diagnosable personality disorders, I have never seen a marriage crumble because the man was honest, straightforward masculine, compassionate, and respectful. I have never seen a marriage where the man took calm, assertive charge, being compassionate and listening and loving his wife, but asserting that principle. I have never seen that marriage, a marriage like that ever fail. I've seen marriages where the dude's been a complete piece of crap for 25 years and the woman has had to run the house and resents him and hates that. And he gets, barely gets his act together at the very end, and it's way too late, and she does; she's too, too broken and exhausted to deal with him anymore. I've seen that. I've seen it where he pretends to get his act together, but it's still to get her approval to keep the marriage going. I've seen that. I have never seen a marriage where the man truly stood up and said, okay, I'm going to be a man of faith. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to calmly assert these principles. I'm going to right? Govern my wife in the way that the Bible says, but with love, respect, and compassion. I will be the head of the house, but I'm going to listen to her as my advisor. She's going to be my, I'm going to be the captain of this ship, but she's going to be my first mate. I'm going to be the CEO. She's my COO. I I say how things have to be, and I take them from the Lord and the Bible, which is the Lord, (laughs) the Lord's will, and, and she's going to help me implement them, and we will be a seamless team, and I will love, honor, and cherish her. I've never seen that. Where the wife says, "No, I don't like that. I'm leaving." I have never seen that. Not once. <laughs> Does it happen? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Well,
0: sure. I mean, everything is going to be up to the individuals involved. Yeah,
1: but so. y- you know what? You know what? But you can't take
0: you can't take you know the the one out of the ninety nine and Correct. make that the standard.
1: But do you know what feminism is really built on? It is a fear, fear and resentment. It's built on women who are afraid of abusive men, hurting them, and are resentful of weak men failing to protect them and failing to provide for them, failing to help them, failing to do their duty. That's what feminism is born out of, is weak men. If men are loving, compassionate, consistent, strong, present, if men do those things, Now, do women maybe want to do work and maybe do things? Yeah, okay, cool. (laughs) All right, give them freedoms, give them things. But all this angry, rabid, radical feminism is built on fear. Look Look at radical feminism that teaches every man is a rapist. Those women, probably a lot of them were sexually abused. So they believe it. And a lot of them were around weak men opportunistic men who espoused feminist theory and ideology and, and and had all the right beliefs but then secretly abused them in private when they could or they became resentful because those women wouldn't give them attentions and then abused them then those women say these are the best men in existence these right here are the only men who get it and even they are rapists every man must be a rapist meanwhile there's you and me over here like i would never ever do i will die before i rape someone right uh, you and they, know, and, and they don't and see I, us.
0: It's understandable, though.
1: Right, but it, they don't see us that way. They're yeah, of course only they around these way. men. That's that's confirmation bias. It's, exactly. I can't. I can't really exactly. If I all spend
0: all me. if I spend all of my time around, you know, ten different dogs and they all bite, I'm never going to trust any dog.
1: No, you're going to say every dog bites. So exactly. That's, that's why I believe those women are there. That's why so many American women are feminist but don't know it, quote unquote, because they have those ideas. If they had loving warm responsible respectable fathers who said sweetheart here's what the bible says here's what we're doing here's this faith you are always welcome to talk to me and voice your concerns if you see me falling short please come to me and let me know i'm going to do this this and this and this is my life if he set himself up that way to always always do the will of his lord as we're supposed to all Right? he's our king it's not a suggestion and, and you, you don't have a life. but by the way, you have a Lord over here. You, you have a Lord and he allows you to have this life. Um, if their fathers were leading that way, all these young women would tell radical feminists to get stuffed. All these young women would say, I'm not interested in hearing what you have to say because that's not at all what my father taught me. I trust my father because boom, 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 lay out all the reasons she trusts her father. If there were young men out there Doing these things, these young women would say, I'm going to get married today. I'm 18. We're getting married today. We are immediately <laughs> having nine children, right? If young, women are, young men are out there doing these things, they attract healthy. They attract healthy women. There are a lot of unhealthy men and unhealthy women out there. And there's people out in the audience right now say, Adam has no idea what this world's No, yeah, there's unhealthy people. But healthy people, I believe that the Bible is true. I believe it's, it's the true word of God and everything in it is the teachings. I'm a Catholic, so I believe every single thing the Catholic Church is, teaches without exception, everything. And I believe that they are all grounded in science, that they are all the best thing, and that it's what's best for all of us. So we need to listen to it to live the best life. That's my belief. I 100% believe that without exception. That's my religious faith. And I've seen it. When people actually live it, their life is good. Not like lack of pain, good. Not lack of struggle, good. Not like they have $10 billion in their bank account, good. But they have peace. They have love. They have all the things that you need. And they don't struggle every minute of every day with this existential angst and misery, constantly living in fear and terror. I don't know how to say it besides that. You see the fruits of it. When people truly live it, you see the fruits of it. There was... um. There was a young woman on Twitter the other day that um, said something that resonated for me. She said, you know, the Catholics, they, they have this weird veneration of Mary. And I used to think that was really pagan and idolatry and really uncomfortable. And she said, the only time that ever really changed that I even questioned it was when I started to look at the fruits that that had in those people's lives. And that's the only, she said, nothing else convinced me that there might be something acceptable there till I saw the fruit of that in those people's lives when they truly venerated her as this loving mother, when they truly followed their Lord with everything, not just with a few things, but seeing that fruit, boom for her. And that's for me too. I was staunchly anti-Catholic. I was about as anti-Catholic as you can get until I started looking at what it actually teaches and what people actually get from it when they 100 percent follow it and that's me um i think that's all of us though all of us have really bad examples of fathers not all of us but uh, you know uncles grandfathers well i think all
0: of us have i think all of us have seen the very bad examples of fathers. that's a better way to say it um,
1: you know, we've seen it. We've seen, we've seen the fruits of all the bad things, but we attribute those fruits to the good things and we forget that those people aren't following the good things. Those people are spitting in the face of the good things and pretending to follow them. Go back to the roots. If I ever fall short, I hope someone would come to me and say, Adam, you're an idiot. You're, following, you're falling short. You're failing utterly and here's where you're failing. And I would hopefully, if I wasn't a defensive jerk, I would thank them because I want to be living appropriately. I want to be doing right. I have people all the time. I stick my foot in my mouth all the time on social media. I say something I shouldn't say, and someone will hit me in DMs and say, hey man, this wasn't really on par with where you should be. And you know what, sometimes they're wrong, and sometimes they're very right. And I appreciate that. We all should. We shouldn't be afraid of correction.
0: No, and I think that maybe maybe with this current culture, um, being afraid of being corrected and also being afraid of being the one to do the correcting have contributed uh, in multiple facets to what we've seen, and at least what I've seen from an outsider's point of view. You know, the reason, like I said, I wanted to have you on is from someone who is a non Christian, I really find someone like yourself or like my wife who upholds those principles without any qualms about it. because no this is just it this is where all of my values came from because it's it um i've always wanted to be able to look at things objectively and what, what, what's funny about this conversation is that while I'm not a Christian, every single thing that you've covered has been pretty much in line with the way I think the way I live, or at least the way I try to live. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm a flawed instrument like yourself, but we've been going for almost an hour and 15 minutes. So I guess before we wrap, tell everybody what's coming next. Tell everybody what you're working on now, what's coming next, what to expect, and also where they can find you uh, if they would like to reach out to you in the same way that a lot of these uh, people who've bought your books and read your work have reached out to you. Um, Where can they best find you if they ever have any questions?
1: So where can they find me first? Um, Adamlanesmith.com. I have the simplest name in the world, right? When you write books and your name is Adam Smith, you're kind of, it's unfortunate because you have Adam Smith a long time ago with The Economist and then everyone who's ever written about Adam Smith. So there's like 10 billion books. So Adam Lane Smith, L-A-N-E. Find me on Amazon, AdamLaneSmith.com, Adam Smith author on Twitter, Adam Lane Smith books, I think on Instagram. Um, you get the gist. You know, Adam Smith, if you type Gideon Ira, that'll pop it up. Usually Knight of the Blood Cross will pop it up. Usually um, I'm everywhere. I'm everywhere and nowhere at the same time. No, it's um, coming next. I've got uh, a few things in the works. Number one, my Patreon. I'm wrapping up a, I'm wrapping up my dark Christian cyberpunk story called Neon Knights. I'm going to change that, change the name of that over probably to Neon Jack. Um, here in another, it's wrapping it up here in probably a couple of weeks, maybe a month or two. Um, the cover for that I've already commissioned, it has a neon picture of the Virgin Mary on the background, plus some guns and like, you know, cool stuff. Um, cyberpunk there. I'm wrapping that up and I'm like I said, I'm switching it over to ne- uh, Gideon Ira. The next one is Gideon Ira in Castle Bloodgast. So it's in the dark post apocalyptic wasteland. Um, he goes to this haunted castle. To try to retrieve his childhood friend from this nest of not only demons, but human experiments that's been conducted. And it's gothic horror combined with like Doom Guy from the Doom video games. Combine those two things, and that's what that book's gonna be. Um, I've got some plans for the next two books after that. So far, I've only got those three books planned. We'll see where the Lord takes me after that. But I've got those planned. Um, Some on Patreon. Adam Lane Smith on Patreon, patreon.com slash Adam Lane Smith. You'll find me. Um, jump in like five dollars gets you access to every, every, uh, Deus Vault Wastelander. It's the series Deus Vault Wastelander book in advance, months in advance. Jump on there five bucks a month. You get all my books that are coming out in that category, in that series. Um, Apart from that, I'm also diving into young adult fiction. So young adult has been geared toward a lot of middle-aged women, which means it has a lot more sexual graphic material. It's kind of becoming like an offshoot of the romance subgenre. So you say, hey, here's a cool book for my 12-year-old kid. And there's like extremely graphic sexual encounters on every chapter kind of thing. Um, I'm doing a non-Tolkien fantasy series, which is a fancy way of saying I don't have elves and dwarves. (laughs) <laughs> um, some races it's set in the neolithic era which is like we just discovered how to plant corn and soil oh, okay. like crappy little villages it's set in that era but it's an alternate fantasy world they have magic they have giant weapons they fight these giant monsters the size of like houses some of the monsters are even bigger than that like 40 foot tall and there's little like five foot tall dudes with like six foot swords fighting them um It's got traditional values. It's got good, clean values that you can hand to any kid. They're not Christian books, but they're built, they're informed by Christian morality, should we say. So you can hand them to any kid, and they'll enjoy them, Um, and adults. I, I have a lot of adults who are doing beta reading on them to make sure that they work, and they're enjoying them, too. That's coming out, actually, probably March, because I launched a Kickstarter for that, and that was massively successful also, so... I think that is all of how that's going. I just released my guide on how to write books because I published seven or eight books last year. I think it was seven books last year. Um, yeah, it was
0: just recently said that you sit down and a book falls out your ass.
1: I mean, so pretty much. Yeah. That's not
0: far from the truth.
1: It's kind of the truth. I, um, I write when I, when I get the time to write, I write like a machine and I think I've, I've kind of hammered that down into, into a process. So I've got a book on Amazon called write like a beast um, it's this huge, sweaty dude with an axe chopping a writing desk in half. If you haven't, if you haven't realized, that is kind of my aesthetic. Um, everything I do is extreme and over the top. Uh, so I don't know if that's your thing. Cool, join me.
0: Well, Adam, I really thank you for coming on. It has been a very in-depth and a brutally honest uh, conversation, and I've enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, for everyone who's listening there will be all of the information to get in contact with Adam in the show notes also if you would like to support this podcast there will be a link to support on anchor.fm slash rugged legacy again thank you all for tuning in and listening to the second ever episode of the rugged legacy podcast wants to rise from the ashes but very few are willing to set themselves on fire this has been a rugged legacy production